Welcome to Riley on Film. I'm your host, Damian Riley. You can find out more and subscribe for free always at RileyOnFilm.com. Now, on with the show. Okay, I want to make a note and I want to make it very clear here at the beginning. This is my full walkthrough and film summary of this graphic horror movie. It is not for everyone and it is definitely not for children. So parents, if your children are listening, please turn it off. Okay, this is my review and complete thorough walkthrough of the house that Jack built. It makes sense to look at some other films that are about serial killers before looking at the house that Jack built. So let's go ahead and do that. The first film I want to talk about is The Silence of the Lambs. Now when this came out, everybody was scared of this thing. It creeped everybody out. It was not based on a real person, although I guess parts of it were said were based on Ted Bundy and the way that he would capture his victims sometimes he would have a a fake uh, cast like the character in silence of the lambs and he would get young unsuspecting women at colleges to come over and help him put things in his van and then he would knock them out and put them in the van capture them kind of like they do in the film the texas chainsaw massacre Whether this is based on a real story, I do not know. But I will say that this was another one that scared the heck out of everybody. And one of the things that I think made it scary is that they compared it to a real story. Uh, I know it was done by uh, Tobe Hooper, who was an incredible master of horror. And the idea of these people capturing humans and killing them with a chainsaw... Which is terrifying. Zodiac is one that I quite enjoyed. Even though you really hate the killer, the story is rather interesting. Manhunter was another uh, related story to Hannibal the Cannibal. Badlands was a more down-to-earth serial killing story about a couple that were just basically dumb. And when you see Jack, Jack is definitely not dumb. He's highly intelligent, but he's doing the same thing. He's going through his life uh, killing people. Seven is a good one to compare it to because the killer, Kevin Spacey, is very thoughtful about what he does. He puts a lot of thought into his kills and leaves clues about the seven deadly sins. Now, Jack probably wouldn't be interested in that. Uh, I think he's more interested in his own internal rules. American Psycho gets a little bit closer to what Jack is. We have a guy here who functions in society, looks very intelligent. They even call him Mr. Sophisticated. Uh, like the character, Christian Bale character in American Psycho, he kills and he gets away with it. The Snowtown Murders is based on a true story, and it is one of the most violent movies I've ever seen. The scene where they're beating the guy to death is horrifying to watch, and I don't even recommend it. But 
it's very well done in that way and that it achieves the desired effect. But this is a serial killer who has no remorse and no morals of any kind and no empathy of any kind. So in that way, he is like Jack. I Saw the Devil is a foreign film with subtitles that definitely has a no empathy killer. In Natural Born Killers, uh, Oliver Stone has his protagonist going through across the land just killing with absolutely no conscience. Frailty has some commonalities. Although Jack is not off on some religious tangent, he is keeping his kills in a location. And he has a manner of rules for what he does. So in looking at these few films, we see how Jack is like the common serial killer and how he's unlike the common serial killer. Jack is like the common serial killer in that he kills. In that he has a signature way of killing. His signature way is really up to him at the moment it's not like he leaves uh, anything that would say this is my kill and he doesn't care about that like the zodiac killer was very concerned that everyone know when he did a kill for jack it's more of a personal intrinsic set of rules he gives a very interesting explanation of the timing of his kills in the movie when he says it's as if when he's walking up to a street light the shadow behind him is small but as he gets closer to the next light the shadow behind him gets longer and that represents his pain so when he kills someone it's like he's directly under a light as he walks to the next light, he has the light on him and the pain shadow behind him is small. But as he continues walking, he feels that pain more and then he must kill again. And Verge actually tells him that this is kind of a cop-out because it could apply to anyone in an addictive situation who's addicted to something. And clearly Jack is addicted to killing. He gets a high from it and it does not last so we see a tortured, I won't call him an artist of serial killing, but it's kind of the way it's laid out, is sort of comparing his serial killing to art. As horrifying as that sounds, I think that's what is meant. I want to start with the director, Lars von Trier, and sort of build up of the movie, as it were. The House That Jack Built is a 2018 film. Came out fairly recently, actually. It's a psychological horror art film. And the word art in there simply means, according to me, and according to probably other people, that there's more to see than what meets the eye. In other words, there's metaphor. It was written and directed by Lars von Trier. And it's starring Matt Dillon, who we all remember from The Outsiders and so many amazing films that he has done in his career. 
Matt Dillon's successful film career has spawned over three decades and has showcased his wide range of dramatic and comedic talents. Dillon displayed his versatility with an arresting performance co-starring as a racist cop in the critically acclaimed Paul Haggis film, Crash. This role earned him nominations for an Academy Award. He's also known for films like There's Something About Mary, Drugstore Cowboy, and Wild Things. He has one of those recognizable faces that, when you see it in a film, you know, hey, I know that guy. Let's look at a couple other things that he's done. One Night at McCool's. There's Something About Mary. Wild Things. In and Out. Albino Alligator. Grace of My Heart. Beautiful Girls. Frankie Starlight. To Die For. Golden Gate. Mr. Wonderful. The Saint of Fort Washington. And the list goes on. That's taking us back to about 1993. He's also very well known for stuff that he did in the 80s. So let's look in the 80s. In the 80s we have Kansas, The Big Town, Native Son, Rebel, Target, The Flamingo Kid, Rumblefish, The Outsiders, which is one of my personal favorites with him in it, Tex, and again, My Bodyguard. Lars von Trier has been around a while. He is highly respected among the more serious movie critics, I would say. And moviegoers, not so much moviegoers per se, because I think a lot of his films are not accessible by the average moviegoer. You will find that in his movies they have common elements of torture, of sexuality, of addiction, some of the darker elements of the human psyche. That not every moviegoer is really interested in delving into. I will tell you that there is a film of his that is rather vanilla called Melancholia. That I would recommend if you're just getting into Lars von Trier. He is, uh, has done a really great job there at presenting us with some alternate realities. And looking at our life uh, on our planet as uh if you're a more sensitive film goer i wouldn't recommend antichrist and it's not per se about antichrist it's actually about grief that's what i got from it antichrist came out in 2009 and it also was a polarizing film with critics for laws von trier basically you have at the beginning at the onset extreme grief which right away is going to turn off a lot of people. A couple is having sex, trying to save their marriage, trying to keep things fresh. And as they're doing so, their child climbs out a window and is killed by the fall. At the child's funeral, by the way, they do uh, chapters here. Uh, Lars von Trier does chapters in the same way he does it in the Jack movie. So chapter one is grief. And at the child's funeral, she, Charlotte Gainsbourg, who, by the way, is also an infomaniac and shows up in Lars movies, collapses and spends a month mostly unconscious in the hospital. 
When she wakes, she is crippled with grief, and he, Willem Dafoe, a therapist, takes it upon himself to talk his wife through the grief process. But he's going through it too, which makes it just so uncomfortable to watch. This is a very uncomfortable film, and I will tell you that a lot of Lars von Trier's movies are strictly uncomfortable. So, you know, knowing that, how would you rate them? How would you, how could you say on a scale of IMDb with people and families that want to go see movies, how would you rate these movies? It's really hard to rate them because they're kind of on a different scale. In the house that Jack built, they do have a scene where she has tortured her husband, Willem Dafoe, and put a sharpening wheel through it. You have to see it to really understand it. Through his knee, while he was unconscious, she drilled a hole through the side of his knee and put this heavy, heavy rock-based wheel through his knee. And it is just looks indescribably painful. And he's trying to get to her while he's hobbling around with this thing on his knee. And it is definitely uncomfortable to watch. And there is so much uncomfortable to watch in Lars von Trier movies. And so you find a dichotomy in all his movies of one thing that you see and one thing that is under the surface that might be what the movie is really trying to say. And so you have to sort of be a thoughtful moviegoer to really get something out of Lars von Trier's films. So what person would I recommend this film to? Number one, I'd recommend it for anybody that likes Lars von Trier. Number two, I would recommend it for anybody that likes serial killers and the stories thereof. And number three, who would I not recommend it for is... If those two things don't interest you, this is not a movie for you. You will not enjoy this movie. It will not entertain you. It will not interest you in the slightest. So, unless you're a Lars von Trier fan, and unless you're interested in serial killers, probably ought to miss this one. Having said all that, I was very excited about this film coming out, The House That Jack Built, and I was watching it very closely on social media and news and trying to get an idea of what it might be about. I found out right away that it was going to be a horror serial killer film, which I have become interested in in recent years. I've been interested in horror for many years, but the serial killer side has somewhat intrigued me. There was a film called Zodiac that was rather interesting and I I found that film sort of sucked me in to start thinking about what serial killers think and what might go through their minds. And I don't know if I'm playing into what Lars von Trier is trying to punish in his film, the type of moviegoer that would do that and be interested in that, or if he's trying to say, there's maybe a serial killer type of mind in all of us that doesn't kill, but is OCD and all the things that you see in this film that Jack is. This film really exists on two levels. It has the incidents of a serial killer, uh, a set of his killings, and they lay it out kind of like a book in chapters. 
And then there's, throughout, there's a walk to hell where Jack is escorted by someone called the Verge, who I assume is an angel from hell, which would make him a demon. Or maybe he's an angel from heaven that's walking him. He seems like a nice guy and he's very against all the killing. So it's sort of hard to tell, but he definitely is the escort. It's over for Jack and he's taking him to hell. So I think it's important to remember the two levels that are going on in this film as you analyze it, even as you enjoy it. The incidents of a serial killer and the walk to hell as he is escorted by the Verge. It's weird because we are in Jack's head, but we're not supposed to relate with him, I don't think. And yet we may relate with him at times. And it's hard to say if that makes us a bad person. Should I be embarrassed to admit that there were times when I related with what Jack was saying? Like, uh, well, I don't know. See, I'm afraid to reveal it. But I think that there's we're so close with Jack that there's times when we feel like we relate with him. But it's hard to tell if we're supposed to or not. OCD, etc., obsessive compulsive disorder, are relatable things that a lot of people have. I myself am not very OCD, but when I'm putting together my art with my guitar or making a podcast, I want things a certain way and I can't sit down to do it until everything's perfect and I have my coffee and everything else. Of course, right now I have my coffee right here, of course. I hope I have enough. Looks like it's only about a third left. Might have to pause it and get more. See, I'm OCD that way. So when we look at Jack, we're tempted to relate with him. Okay, in the beginning, we have the first incident. We have Uma Thurman, who is standing by her car that has gotten a flat tire. And we see from the vantage point of Jack in the driver's seat. And he sees her on the side of the road and he pulls over. Now, why did he pull over? After having seen the film, I think he probably pulled over to kill her. But when we're first watching the movie, we're thinking, oh, here's he's being a nice guy. A serial killer can be a nice guy. I couldn't be further from the truth in this film. One thing that does happen, which I think is maybe a commentary on women, I'm not sure, or some women, is that she gets really rude with him. And she starts to, as he's helping her, quote-unquote, helping her. She starts to give him tips, like in jest, on how a serial killer would transport and bury bodies, joking with him, saying that he could be a serial killer. Now, obviously, why would a woman do this? Probably because she's nervous. She wants him to reassure her that he's not. But he doesn't. Well, mainly because he is a serial killer. But even if he wasn't a serial killer... Uh, possibly he's just not pretentious in any way, and he doesn't feel that he needs to reassure her. After all, he is helping her. So you find yourself going back and forth. Okay, I agree with him, I agree with her, I agree with him, I agree with her. But I think this is a little bit of a statement against those kind of needy women that sort of put down people to try to help them. I'm not sure exactly, but maybe something in there. So he takes her to a place where they're supposed to fix her jack, and they do, or at least they think they do. 
and then he she begs to be taken back again so incredibly he takes her back again to her car uh begrudgingly and they find out that the jack he even tries to do the jack for her but the jack broke so it wasn't fixed enough and it all starts again where she wants him to take her back once again to the welder so he gets her in the car and then she starts saying oh he's too much of a wimp to be a serial killer so now she's out and out putting him down even though it she might be meaning it as a compliment because i mean obviously most people would rather have a wimp than a serial killer with them but it's it's rude and so we agree with that and this is gets into the whole thing of do we relate with jack or do we not relate with jack so he of course kills her with the jack there is some talk at that point about jack being an engineer he and the verge talk a little bit about it he's really an architect but jack sees himself as an engineer and he engineers all his killings they have a certain form to them that he adheres to and they compare it to architectural art some of it works pretty good some of it's just kind of out there i think if you just dismiss it all you're not really paying attention there is some good stuff there to get but for the most part it does go on kind of long when it flashes back to his room his study uh, we see the pencils all straight as a sign of his ocd at this point he starts to tell verge about the walk-in freezer he bought a retired restaurant freezer from a pizza place pizzas included he put her body in there with the others and uh, you can see that he's already been to work because there's some bodies in there quite a few you don't exactly know how much i think that's meant at the beginning they don't really want you to know that well that takes us to our second incident i call it the door-to-door -door killer he's only going to one door but he seems like he knows what he's doing he's trying to get in uh, which is interesting because he could clearly overpower her we find out later when he strangles her he obviously can overpower her but why is it so important for him to convince her to let him in uh, that is quite interesting it, it goes to show you that this is more than just someone who needs to kill this is someone who needs to kill a certain way and who needs to get the victim to play along with him and we really see this we see this in a lot of his victims but we really see this in the riley keoff killing the character that she plays he reminds me of the wolf at the door in this scene he's like the kirby salesman that won't go away she agrees to let him in after much consternation but what is the reason that she let him in because he said he could get her double the money on her husband's life insurance policy or the pension that's another i don't know if it's a statement against women necessarily or a statement just against people in general that they're greedy to their own demise once in he says ridiculous things he's almost playing with the situation proving his ability to kill he gets her to put a pillow under her head after he strangled her and failed to kill her the first time he pretends to cry apologizing and you know this is when we as uh viewers start to go oh is he 
Is he feeling sad about what he did? You know, maybe that's even what the victim is thinking too. Uh, is he feeling sad as she's probably in a weird place in her head because she's just been knocked out, but she came, basically came back to life after being strangled. And so he's saying, I'm so sorry, you know, what can I do to make this right? And So that could go two ways. It could be like a killer that's sorry about what he did and wants to change, but is stuck in this circle of uh, doing what they hate to do. And in religion, you know, that the book of Romans in the Bible is all about that. I hate the thing I do, but I keep doing it. So maybe he's doing that just like an addict. But we don't really know because we haven't seen the movie. Once you've seen the whole movie, you kind of know for sure that the guy has no soul. The guy is just pretending to be empathetic and to be apologizing. But she accepts tea from him after all that with poison in it. And she still doesn't die. So he strangles her again. And then at that point, he gets his knife out. He counts up her ribs, knowing exactly where the heart was, pierces her heart. We get blood shooting out. Takes a photo of her with his little antique camera. Reminded me of the road to perdition a little bit. He drags the body out. There's so much work to his art. That's one thing I kept getting from this particular incident. He is going to so much work to make this happen. It's not just a regular killer. It's somebody that wants to do it a certain way. So he goes back and he cleans up with bleach, I think. some, Some kind of clear liquid. He's haunted by the idea as he leaves that he's left blood at the scene. So he goes back to clean it again. Now, I'm told that this is supposed to be funny. I didn't think it was that funny. But I guess it's sort of funny. The OCD is coming out. Even with an alarm on full blast and hearing the cops come, he recalls one place where there might be blood and he goes back yet again with the cops right there. He sees the police car. He pulls the dead body out of the van. Cops come up to his van. He gives the cop another smooth story. This guy is good. He starts demanding that the room be inspected. Because he's so positive that he's cleaned it perfectly of blood. That there's nothing there. He's so sure of himself. He ties the body to the van as the cop kicks him out. Because frankly he's sick of hearing his mouth. So the cop kicks him out of the house. He ties the body to the van. The drive causes her face to be ground down to the skull. It's a grisly sight. Uh, One thing that he says to Verge after this incident is, I went to great lengths to fake normal empathy in order to confound the masses. So I think that's very interesting that not only does he not have empathy, but he's so conniving and evil that he learned to fake normal empathy, what it looks like. And it talks about the skids when he was a child, uh, when they were cutting the grass with the skids as he would play near the pond. Now the skid scenes are beautiful, they're peaceful. They cut in unison with three or four of the guys with these skiz and the sound they make is very peaceful relaxing and then juxtaposed against that you see him walk up as a child in this flashback to go get a duckling catch it in a net and then use a wire cutter to cut its leg off this is grisly it's sad it's repulsive and we hear all the time 
you know, I've taught kids for 18 years. We always hear to look for the sit, uh, the signs of non-empathetic kids that, that harm, uh, animals. It's a sign that there's something wrong when you see that. So he was already showing, uh, that there was something deadly wrong, um, with him and that he might be like a kind of a sociopath by cutting off the leg of that duck and then putting it back in the water and watching it swim funny. It was just, it's repulsive, and that's where you get the horror element. The strangling scenes in this film are awful, but in truth, that's probably as bad as it gets in this film as far as gore is. The film raises the question, what is hell to Jack? I, I, would, I would argue that hell is something out of his control. But seemingly, the result of all he's done would be hell. What is hell to us? Is it the same thing? Do we avoid hell by empathy? Interesting question. Better thing to think about is what is Lons von Trier trying to say? I think he is. I think he's trying to say there's no love, there's no empathy in Jack. And we we might fall into the same place. With architecture, with whatever we do, a butcher, baker, candlestick maker. Something to think about. Empathy should be on all our minds all the time. Not fake empathy, real empathy. He says he likes the dark negative light, which is kind of creepy. It looks demonic. If you've ever worked with negatives, which I have, they are really creepy. And Jack really had no family. He makes that clear in the second incident. Then you have the third incident. And the third incident, uh, I don't really know what to say. I took so many notes on the other incidents, but the third incident I just kind of watched with my jaw wide open. It's the one where he does the family shooting. He goes into detail about hunting and the rules of hunting. Which made me wonder if this guy never really had a family and he never really had friends, then how did he even learn how to hunt? From books, maybe? But this is the part where he shoots two young boys and then he shoots their mother and it's, uh, it's not something that is for everyone and it's not, I don't think it's really meant to be horror. I think it's meant to show that we love serial killers in movies and in books and on news shows and identity. I'm just getting into true crime myself. I'm learning it's such a huge market in podcasts. There's so many true crime shows. And these are real real incidents that didn't make the front page. And there's so many out there and we're so drawn to them. I am so drawn to them. I admit it. But I think this is where he's like, Taking us to court as audiences and saying, look, here it is. This is this is what you thirst for. This is what you hunger for. And we have the shooting of the two boys and the shooting of their mother and her screams and the blood. And the hunting rifle. Maybe it's a, a, talking about gun rights or something like that too. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you think it is. But this is... Probably shows the darkest side of Jack, I would say. 
Yeah, I think I can live with saying that. This one for sure, the four, the third incident would be the one where you could see him going to hell for. In the fourth incident, he says, I had a romance once. He's talking to Verge. Verge is getting to know him a little more. I can't help but think if that conversation and that walk is sort of meant to do that, to sort of self-incriminate Jack, so he understands where he's going and why he needs to go there. Maybe give him empathy. He says, I had a romance. He says he had stronger feelings for Riley Keough's character than a psychopath is supposed to have. Frankly, I didn't see them. I expected there to be a little cuddling, a little closeness. There really isn't. So Jack meets Jacqueline, who's played by Riley Keough, a woman that he calls simple, as he believes her to be stupid. Jack confesses that he has killed 60 people at this point and is the serial killer, Mr. Sophistication. But Jacqueline does not believe him and thinks he's lying. She tries to get away and tell a cop but he dismisses her as a drunk. Eventually, Jacqueline fails to escape and Jack cuts off her breasts with a knife. I would say it needs to be noted and you recall she's totally awake because you hear her screaming when he starts to cut them off. That was pretty, pretty freaking horrible. He pins one of her breasts to the cop's car who didn't want anything to do and fashions the other one into a wallet which we see later. But there is an important scene where he yells out from the apartment complex, no one wants to help. Now that's to his, that helps him. If no one wants to help, that helps him do what he fantasizes about doing. But the truth of the matter is, if you think about it, one of the reasons serial killers can do what they do is because a lot of people will walk by, will turn the other way. Now for the fifth incident. Jack has detained six people and tied them to a makeshift post, lining their heads up in a row with the intention of killing them all with one bullet. But he realizes that the bullet he bought from Al, Jeremy Davies, is not a full metal jacket bullet. Al refuses to sell the bullets and instead Jack has to go to the trailer of a man known as SP, David Bailey, Knowing that the cops are looking for Jack, SP points a gun at Jack and thinks that he has caught him. Jack convinces him to drop his gun and kills him with a knife through his throat and then grabs the one bullet he needs. I like that because it's just so off. Here this guy is thinking he would steal all his bullets. No, he just wants the one for his sick idea of shooting this bullet through six people's heads. So Jack kills the cop and steals his car, which he leaves outside his freezer space with the siren blazing. This is another. He's got so many things that he leaves open, almost daring to be caught, almost showing, hey, I can do this, I know exactly what I'm doing. But other things he's very careful about, and it's just crazy. He's just made this, he really is like an engineer of killing. But what does he gain? Personal satisfaction. He tries to line up the shot, to go through all the men's heads, but realizes it's too blurry. 
He finally succeeds in prying open a door at the back of the freezer that's always been stuck shut the whole movie. He continues to try to line up the shot and sees Verge for the first time. Verge suggests that Jack has unfinished business and has never really built the house that he was intending to build. Using the bodies as material, Jack constructs a house of them, and when he enters the makeshift house, he sees a hole that leads down. At this point, the cops successfully torch through the door, and Jack decides to go through the hole following Verge. Now we are on our way to hell. Dante's Inferno and Michelangelo's art, all these things, I think at some primal level we're all interested in them. They're neat. In Las Vegas, they have a lot of places where they have Caesar's Palace statues and things like that. And we walk by them and they really make us pause, I think. Because I see little kids doing it, I see women do it, I see men do it. And I know for myself, I find all that very interesting. There was a statue of Michael that was fallen at my college where I went to. And... uh I really used to enjoy eating my lunch sometimes, leaning against it. It was uh, very interesting. And I think the Roman uh, culture had a lot of statues for a reason. Some of them they worshipped, but others of them just uh, were maintained for their beauty. And all those types of feelings that uh, that you get toward art, are all satisfied, I think, or at least appealed to in the epilogue of this film. After all the incidents on their way to hell, it's called Catabasis. In a clear allusion to Dante's Inferno, Virg is actually the poet Virgil and is guiding Jack through hell. Well, we figured out who he is. Virg is the poet Virgil. At the very bottom of hell, there is a bridge and a vast dark space below. The door on the other side of the bridge leads out of hell and presumably to heaven. As Verge tells Jack, the bridge is completely broken, but Jack notices that one could climb around the cliff and over to the other side, always looking for a loophole. Although Verge tells him that he recommends against it, and this is not where he is to deliver him. Jack ignores him and decides to climb over anyway. And what do you think happens? It's fairly predictable. Jack falls and falls off the cliff down into the abyss with the flowing fire below. And now there is no record of any house that Jack built. Jack's life is over and he has, in effect, gone to hell well it's left me thinking about what hell is uh we're always taught about hell the bible teaches about hell can it be a private hell can it be a, a hell um you know with a bunch of people in it it's a very interesting thought but i think the most important thing for me that i got out of this film was when do you relinquish your control? And I think the answer to that is you perform the art of life 
pouring a glass of orange juice in the morning could be an artistic form. Making coffee is an artistic form. But when it begins to encroach upon someone else, I mean, obviously the most intense way would be killing someone else, but most of us won't be killing anyone. But you need to be willing to accommodate others in your art. And I always get weird stuff out of movies. And this uh, truly horrifying film is not for everyone, but I think that's a pretty great message. Accommodate others in your art or go to hell. And that's the end of The House That Jack Built. If we look at Lars von Trier, we'll see that he also has done quite a few amazing things. His films include Europa, Breaking the Waves, The Idiots, Dancer in the Dark, Antichrist, Melancholia, and Nymphomaniac. Matt Dillon stars in the title role of Jack, which really is a fitting role for him, because although he's kind of got that pretty boy status, he definitely has a leer to him, a look that is rather dark, and if you remember this film that I watched years and years ago called My Bodyguard, I mean, he really can play a hateful individual. So, while a lot of people are saying that he was miscast, I think he's cast just fine, and I think he fulfills the role quite well. And he did his homework. He worked hard. You see him in interviews. You can tell that he really worked hard to fit the role of Jack. The story follows Jack, a serial killer, over the course of 12 years in the 1970s and 80s, in the United States state of Washington. The film debuted at Cannes Film Festival, making Von Trier's return to the festival after more than six years. He was previously banned from Cannes for saying that he could identify with Hitler. Now, in the context of what he was saying, I think he was saying because Hitler didn't know in part of his life about his heritage. I think he was saying he could identify that way, but it could be argued that he was saying even more than that, that he felt that Hitler was misunderstood, in which case I'm pretty glad he was banned. But anyhow, he came back, and I'm a fan of his, but his uh, films are not... I'm going to say this because it's my podcast, but uh, probably going to get people mad at me. His films are not that good. Um... And when I say not good, I mean they don't appeal to mass people. Not a lot of people will relate with them. For example, I can't think of anybody I would take to Antichrist. And yet I talk about it all the time on Twitter with Film Twitter, hashtag Film Twitter, folks. So he obviously has a name for himself and he obviously has sells a lot of tickets, so he's doing something right. But they're not, he's not Steven Spielberg in any way, he doesn't try to be. Uh, so there, I've said it. 
So anyhow, I did enjoy the House of Jackville, and that's why I'm here to talk to you about it today for an hour-long episode. This film was given a single-day theatrical release on 28th of November, 2018, in the United States, and it polarized critics. The next thing I knew, it came out when it was supposed to, but nowhere near my house and nowhere near L.A., There were a few movie houses that had it, but for the most part, it was not a big release. And now it's available video on demand, and it's available on some services, so check it out. But I hope that if you're listening to this, you've already seen it, because I'm giving nothing but spoilers in this whole episode. Now let's go take a look at what some people said about this film. Okay, one IMDb film viewer writes that it was bold, fascinating, and unforgettable. And they write, I just got back from seeing the director's cut of The House of Jack Bell, and man, it was quite the experience. First and foremost, if you don't have a strong stomach for violence and generally aggressive behavior, then this probably isn't going to be for you. However... I'm not sure how much of what I saw will be on the rated R cut. This is a nasty movie about a nasty man and is quite graphic in some scenes, though none of the violence ever fell out of place or just there to shock. The acting by everyone involved is top-notch, the writing and direction is absolutely fantastic as well, the movie can be surprisingly funny from time to time, the cinematography was very well done, although some scenes are less memorable than others due to not being as unique as they could have been. There is a review here on IMDb who states the movie had no meaning and also says they didn't even watch the whole movie. I definitely suggest getting through it again. And it goes on, but I think that's a good representation of someone who really liked it. Now let's go down to a two-star review. And they say, Another artsy-fartsy load of garbage. Lars von Trier and his demented mind brings another useless story. Seriously, this is even worse than some of his earlier work like Antichrist. Just because he uses weird shots, inconsistent pacing, ugly scene setting, and incomprehensible storylines, does not mean that he is a genius. Truth be told, on the contrary, it just implies that he's not a good filmmaker. This is a bad film and should be avoided. Do not watch. Okay, so there's the two polarized fans that we'll start with, and now we'll look at my take on The House of Jackpilt. From the beginning of the film to the end, I was definitely glued to the screen. I wanted to see what was coming next, and I wanted to see what the message was. As it finished, I'm not so sure that I got a message from it. As I've said in this review, I think it's a little bit about how to avoid hell. I read somewhere someone put that all of Lars von Trier's movies are sort of instruction guides on how to not be a complete asshole. So, for what it's worth, I just mentioned that. Is he saying how to avoid hell? I think so. I think he is. And I have 
gleaned for me that, you know, like I've always known my whole life, God is love and love other people and love is about other people, not just yourself. And I think serial killers and Jack especially don't have a handle on that and they don't have any concern for other people. Now, by the same token, I think he's poking fun a little bit at viewers and people that want serial killer stories and want true crime and, you know, want this movie to come out where it's giving them blood and gore and all that. And maybe he's saying, look, you're, you're like Jack. You're, you're not concerned about another person, but. If he's saying that, that really sucks because I really like horror. So maybe it's not so much that. Or maybe he's saying there's a higher level we can rise to above Jack where we can make our art where it accommodates other people. And maybe it's not so much out of the fear of hell that we do that, but rather in the love of the beauty of the art. And maybe it's about following our own vision. Could Jack possibly have a vision that we could actually learn something from? <sighs> That's taking it pretty far. I'm not sure. But in a way, yes, because we think it's silly when he takes his vision so seriously and has to go back and clean up the blood. Well, maybe when we're creating something... We don't need to take it quite that seriously and we need to allow more of the impressions of other people into our love and into our art. I'm getting really out there right now, I know, but I'm trying to find a way to help Lars von Trier push this movie and, and make some sense out of it. I think as a horror movie, it's not really the best thing to recommend because I like horror that is creepy. And there's really nothing creepy about this film. It's just about a driven guy who honestly, probably in real life, if this guy existed, I think he would have a lot of headaches. Because he's so driven. And we don't see any family, we don't see any friends, we see a sort of a love situation, but he cuts her breasts off and kills her. So I don't know how much we're supposed to identify with him. But I do think what we can take away is our own private hell. What do we think Jack is? How do we avoid being Jack? You know, kind of like what that person said. Maybe it's a treatise on how not to be an asshole. Maybe it's a treatise on not, not how to not end up in your own private hell, being escorted there. And the answer for me is accommodation of other people into your life. And to never do art at the exclusion. Thank you for listening to Riley on Film. I'm your host, Damian Riley. You can find out more and subscribe always for free at RileyOnFilm.com. Now, have a great day.